Good morning. <laughs> you know, you do that in radio and they fire you. Like, you have that hesitation, but when everybody can see you, there's a dramatic pause. And they teach you on stage that when that happens, everybody goes, what's he going to say? So uh, I just want to thank everybody that was at the workday yesterday. It was a lot of fun. I mean, um, I was helping uh, part of the... <laughs> So when I first got there, I thought, you know, I'm not going to end up doing any work because I was going around kind of directing things and making sure everybody had the help that they needed and stuff. And then I noticed that, the, like, the hardest job of pulling drywall off the ceiling, they didn't have enough people. And I thought, oh, gosh, I better get in there. And so I start pulling that stuff, and, and the dust is coming down on my face. And um, it was, like, all over my head and on my face and my arms and, and shirt and stuff. And I walk outside, and everybody, everybody's like, man, you're like Moses that came down from Mount Sinai. You're all blonde and everything. And uh, so there was a spigot out front, and I just turned it on, and it, and it points straight up. And so it made this shower, and so I just got in there and, and, and washed off. It was awesome. Uh, but it, it was just fun working. I mean, uh, you know... Many hands make the work light. And I tell you, we got through a bunch of weeds. We got the fence tore down in the front. The whole front looks a lot better. Got weeds in the cracks taken care of. Uh, the entire lobby ceiling, I would say that 95% of it is down. There's one little strip right at the end uh, that we, we need to pull down. I mean, there's a lot more work. Um, but, uh, oh, the other thing is we got the uh, the back wall of the uh, the stage uh, painted black, kind of like what we have here. Um, so just a, a lot of good work. Um, I don't know if any of you remember, uh, I was a little kid. Uh, they used to have this thing called Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, anybody remember this? Um, and there's, I'm just a bill, I'm on Capitol. You know, you've heard, if you've heard that song, some of you are like, oh, nostalgia. And, and some of you are like, what is that? Um, well, basically, Saturday morning, they'd have Saturday morning cartoons, and they would put in these educational things kind of spread throughout. And, and it would teach you how to count or teach you about how laws work. And, and one of them was about the ride of Paul Revere. And it was, and the shot heard round the world was the start of a revolution. The Minutemen were ready on the move. Take your powder, take your gun, report to General Washington. Hurry, men, there's not an hour to lose. Now, I could, I even heard my wife singing that. Now, my wife's a jukebox, so you just, you don't even have to put a quarter in. You just, <laughs> there's some button that clicks and she starts singing and um, but I actually heard a couple people actually kind of singing the lyrics to that. Music has a way of kind of, of stirring that up in you. But the whole idea of the shot heard around the world, um, there's actually, it actually refers to kind of two things. And we use it in sports and we use it in various things. But primarily it was the revolution, uh, the Battle of Concord and Lexington. Um, basically Paul Revere, the British are coming, the British are coming, uh, the lights up in the chapel, um, and then they fired the shot that was heard around the world. The other one is when the Archduke Ferdinand of Austria, uh, right before World War I, when he was assassinated, they call that the shot heard around the world because it basically started World War I, which e even led into World War II. They were kind of combined, and I won't, I won't go into that. But it was a significant event that, that basically started into play 
Like you talk about, all right, I'm going to play some music, and what song should I play? And you, you do this. Well, this was hitting the play button uh, for the revolution. Well, in Joshua, we're continuing our series in Joshua, <clears throat> and basically Jericho, they've, they've gone across the river, and Jericho is going to be the shot heard around the world, or at least around Israel. It was what they had been talking about for 40 years. For 40 years. Think about that. For 40 years, it's all they had talked about. When are we going to go? When are we going to go? Oh, now's where the rubber meets the road. We're just not going to wander around and, and, and follow the pillar of fire and, and, and stuff. It says when they crossed the river, boom, the pillar was gone. It was done. Oh, really? Now we really have to rely on God. So it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Securely barred because of the Israelites. So think about the discrepancy between the two camps. Jericho's all buttoned up. Everybody's inside, like their little helmets. They're, stick, they're looking over the wall and, and making sure they don't get shot by an arrow or something like that, and they're kind of peeking out through the, the ramparts or whatever it happens to be. And then the Israelites, they're in their tents. They have no wall. And who's afraid of who? I mean, well, what had happened is God's reputation had gone before the Israelites. So Jericho, they, they heard all these rumors. They heard all these stories. And so when the spies came in, Rahab's like, hey, I know which side I'm aligning with. And then they watched as the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. The river parts. Can you imagine standing on the wall looking at that like, we don't have a chance. Yep, it, yep we don't have a chance. And then it says in the rest of that verse, it says, no one went out and no one came in. They closed it up. There were no deserters. There were no people going out to sue for peace. There were no people in the surrounding areas coming in. It was buttoned up tight. They were preparing for a siege. And so they're all, they were afraid, not of the Israelites. They were afraid of the Israelites' God. Okay, so they had heard the reports that all had gone. So here's the question in everybody's mind. The people in Jericho, but mainly the Israelites, they're sitting in the camp that night. Am I going to fight when it's time to fight? It's the same question that goes through every soldier's mind. When the battle comes, am I going to be so scared that I can't handle it, or am I going to move and, am I, and I'm going to fight? Everybody dreams of, well, maybe I could be that Medal of Honor winner. You know, if you're a Medal of Honor winner, you're probably dead. So you may not want to win the Medal of Honor. I mean, most of them, they die saving their friends. So, I mean, it's good for the friends, but for you, it's uh, not, not quite as good. Okay, so I've never had that kind of anticipation. But I've had something I, I feel is somewhat close I decided that I was going to go bungee jumping one time. And uh, they had this big contest uh, down at, it used to call, be called West Coast Sound. It was right on Pan American Freeway. And they were gonna raise a crane like 200 feet in the air, whatever, whatever height it was. And they had this cage. And um, the first 10 people that got there were gonna get to go for free. It was like this big thing for West Coast Sound and stuff. And I was like, boom, I'm there. And so 6.30 in the morning, my friends and I arrived. 
And we're sitting there in line, and I was one of the, I was like number seven or number eight or something like that. And basically, my friends and I, we were the last three. Well, before it ever started, one of them had bolted. He's like, nah, I'm not going to do this. Um, and so we're standing there in line, and uh, we're waiting, and the line grows and grows and grows. And it was like 50 bucks a person to go at that time. It was, it was kind of a new thing. And so there's this whole line, and... Uh, they're raising the crane, they're lowering, checking everything out. And I look over and I notice that there's this big tarp on the ground. And my friend says, what do you think the tarp's for? And I'm like, well, if, it, if you fall and you hit, they can just kind of fold you up and haul you off. So everybody was talking big until you get in the cage. And then the higher that cage goes, the lower your courage goes. Like your courage stays on the ground and you're, you're 150 or whatever, how many feet up in the air? Probably wasn't 200 feet. It was probably 100 feet or it's probably like 18 feet or something. And it was like, <laughs> but in my mind, it was this big. And so um, the guy in front of me, he goes up and he's this big burly guy. He goes up there and he's holding onto the rail and he looks over and he just goes, nope, nope put me down. And he gets down and everybody's booing him when he gets down to the, to the bottom. So then they call me over and I get in the cage and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And I, I get to the top. All I could think about was them booing that guy before. I didn't want to go. I, I had lost my nerve. I was not going to do anything. I was going to go back down. But all I could think of was they're going to boo me and I don't want to be booed. And the, and the guy is standing there, and he's, he's like, come on, just, I'm going to kick you out if you don't. And uh, he says, look off into the distance, pick a spot, and fall forward. So I get up there, and I, now, the timing of this was amazing, because my parents happened to be driving by on the freeway, and they didn't know I was going, and, and I'm literally falling forward and as I'm just starting to fall I'm hearing a horns honk and, and they, they happen to be driving by and they see me and they're like isn't that Jeff <laughs> <laughs> yes it is <laughs> I bungee jumped once and only once <laughs> I have to admit I wish it had been like on that Australian bridge that goes into nothing but I, I I'm never going to do that again you know, skydiving, nope, no, I have kids now, like, uh, I have a reason to live, I have a wife and kids, that's enough. So, the anticipation before this big battle, and so they're thinking, all right, I might be the guy that has my spear, and I'm going to run up, and I'm going to march through, and I'm going to climb that wall, and I'm going to go over, and I'm going to find the leader, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to stab him in the heart, and cut off his head, and I'm going to hold the head up, and everybody's going to cheer, cheer me on, and God says, no, nah, that's not the way we're going to fight. And all the Israelites are like, but what? Well, they weren't fighters. They were probably terrified. Like, how, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Am I going to be ready to fight when the battle comes? So this is what God says. He says, I want you to march around the city six times, one time a day. And the way that I want you to do it is I want, the, I want you to have the people, and then there's the rear guard, and then you have the ark, and then I want you to put seven priests in front of the ark, and then you have the front guard. And just, I want, you to, I want you to go around Jericho once, every day. And then on the seventh day, I want you to go around it seven times, 
so you get your exercise, with the, the priest blowing the trumpets, and when you hear the sound, a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Everyone. Not just one person. There's not one Medal of Honor winner. There's not one hero. Everyone straight in. Boom, they go in. This is not in the West Point curriculum. Let's just say, this battle plan, you're not going to see it in strategies of, of awesome generals or anything like that. But here's what the Bible says about the way that God works. This is in 2 Corinthians. It says, for though, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God had a plan. Remember, the captain of the hosts go, comes to Joshua, and Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. See, God went into this battle not on either side, but he had a purpose and he had a plan and it involved some that had submitted to his plan and it involved some who were resistant to his plan. I think if Jericho had opened their gates and come out and said, hey, we are going to turn our hearts toward your God and serve your God, I think God would have brought them in there and move them along. But that wasn't part of God's plan. They had hardened their, hardened their hearts for hundreds of years before that. And so God knew, Israelites, you're going to have to wipe out everybody. It says they went in and they, they killed every man, woman, and child. I mean, think about that. Animals, basically anything living was dead. Why? Because God wanted to spread fear through the entire land of Canaan. See, there are so many battles in the Bible that were won by God. You have God parting the Red Sea and drowning the entire Egyptian army. That was one of the biggest armies in the world at that time. God takes a boy with a sling and defeats the meanest of the Philistine warriors and the, probably the biggest man that was living on the face of the earth. Samson gains supernatural strength and takes the jawbone of a donkey and goes and slays Philistines. The angel of the Lord goes into the Assyrian camp and kills their soldiers while Israel's buttoned up in their city. Gideon has 300 soldiers. Like, God didn't, God was like, you know, Gideon, I see you got a couple thousand soldiers here. No, we're going to weed this down. We're just going to use a small amount. And then Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, he sent his singers out. <laughs> like, he sends his singers out to worship in front of the other army, and, the, and he worships God, and it says that God set a snare for them, and they ended up killing each other. And when the Israelites went out, it took them three days to pick up all the bodies. I mean, think about all these stories. I mean, with Gideon, the, their army was so scared when, he, when they uh, threw down the uh, pots of oil and lit all these flames in the, uh, in the hills around them. They were so scared that they just started killing each other. Like, oh, we're not going to make it. Oh, you're... I'll, I'll take care of you, you take care of me. And it's like, all right, on the count of three, one, two, three, and you run each other through. And the Israelites show up, and there's all this plunder and booty. Yes, I said booty from the pulpit. All this plunder and booty. And they were able to go and take it. They went out to the army of the Syrians. They were able to take that. God has a different way of fighting. And God's battle doesn't necessarily involve 
us fighting. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's what God does. This is awesome. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew their trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. Now, it's good to have music. Like, I feel like I would be more than a conqueror sometimes in my life if I just had the background music that... Like the chariots of fire, dun, 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 dun. I'm going into my boss's office basically to tell him I, I'm frustrated with how things are going, dun, 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 and you hear the background music, um, yeah, like, dun, 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 Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I mean, that's what we really need, is we need like all of the music behind us, charging us forth. Well, God's like, you want music? Here you go. It says, do not give a war cry. No, you're not warriors. You're servants of the living God. Do not raise your voices. Don't make a peep. This was a dad telling his kids, would you be quiet? <laughs> do not say a word until the day I tell you then shout. So I thought, oh, I bet there's something about silence in the Bible. So I went through and, and started looking up all the references to silence. So you have Moses, and it says, but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform for you today. And basically, he says, uh, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And I thought, oh, Awesome. Oh, but then you go to Esther, and it says, then Mordecai told them to, uh, to reply to Esther. Basically, they were going to kill all the Jews. Esther, do not imagine that you, keep si that you need to keep silent at this time. Liberation and rescue will arise from the Jews from another place if you are silent, and you and your father's house will perish. So if you're quiet, you're going you're gonna to fall apart, and you're going to perish. All the Israelites, or all the Jews, are, all, excuse me, all of your house is going to perish if you're silent. I was like, okay. So you got Moses on one hand, you got Esther on the other hand. Okay, Job. Job, pay attention. Job, listen to me. Keep silent and let me speak. So God's like, all right, Job, you need to be quiet. Isaiah, for Zion's sake, I will not be silent. Like, what's wrong with the Bible? Come on, God, get your act straight. Like, just communicate one thing. I'm an engineer. I just want one answer. I don't, engineers don't like decisions. That's why we use science to get us to it. It's because all the science works toward that, that decision. And then you got Paul and Barnabas. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to, Paul and, uh, to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating the signs and wonders that God had done through the Gentiles. So you go back and forth, but here's the difference between the two. I actually found a difference. In some cases, God is wanting to have someone say something to be involved in his plan. So they're the ones that are supposed to seek out. They're the ones that are supposed to seek God. They're the ones that are supposed to do this. And then sometimes God already has a plan, and he's just wanting us to watch. You see, God's activity brings silence. God wanted them watching. He didn't want them speaking. 
go around. I don't want you to say a word. When they're mocking you, like, oh, your father smelled of elderberries and you're... <laughs> Come back and I'll taunt you a second time. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever seen Monty Python. That... If you haven't seen Monty Python, I, I'm sorry. You're, you're... I mean, don't watch it by yourself. You'll be like, what is he watching? <clears throat> so here's the thing <laughs> that I love about this story. He, he wants him to be quiet, and it's, it's like, all right, kids, watch this. It's like, bring my kids around. You want to see fireworks? Watch this. Do you know what the universal sign of awe or amazement is? It's silence, but there's one more thing. Yes, an open mouth. Excellent. Like, I, I did a, do a search on images. I actually meant to load these up and I completely forgot about it. Do a search on images of, like, people in awe. And they're all like. Or people that are amazed. Like, the difference is one of them is, like, and the other one's with a smile. Have you ever been to a good magician? And they do something, you're like, how in the world did they do that? I watched this guy, he was out on the street and he had this deck of cards and he, he comes up and he has this lady come up to him and he says, hey, you want, to do a, a magic, you want me to do a magic trick for you? She's like, sure, and her boyfriend was there. And he has her pick a card and uh, she, she looks at it and she shows the camera and she shows him and she shows everybody else. Or actually, she, she doesn't show him. And he says, all right, here's a magic marker. I want you to write on this card your name. And so she writes on the card her name, gives back the magic marker, gives the deck of cards to him. Now, they're outside this restaurant. And, and there's people in the restaurant eating or whatever. And uh, they're kind of looking through and smiling and stuff. And, and you got, like, tables right next to the restaurant. And they're right outside this window. And he takes a deck of cards and he says, do you think that I can find your deck of cards by throwing them at that window? And she's like, well, you're a magician probably, but I don't know how you're going to do it. So he takes the deck of cards and he throws it and it hits the window and her card is stuck to the window. And I'm thinking, oh, bubble gum or like some sticky substance or whatever. Well, then he says, go get it. And she goes up and she goes to get it and she can't get it. She has to go into the restaurant and peel her card off the inside of the window. And I'm looking at this like, you're a demon. Like, what is wrong with you? It's a witch. I mean, now obviously there's some tricks to it. Because magicians aren't necessarily witches or whatever. But like, I was, I was like, what? I'm literally at home by myself, sitting on my couch watching this. I stand up like... Are you kidding me? Yelling at the TV. I'm sure our pet rat was like, what is wrong with that guy? I actually went to another magi magician when I was uh, younger. And uh, I was probably 10 years old. And he had this little guillotine. And he says, I need a volunteer from the audience. And I was like, no way. I, I didn't like volunteering for stuff like that. Uh, my oldest daughter and I were very much similar in heart. Um, our middle daughter, Abby, she loves to volunteer for stuff. So if you need a volunteer, she's right. He, 
I go up and he takes my hand and he says, uh, well, first he puts an apple in it and he hits the button and, and this guillotine probably sits about this high and it's on, this ta- on a table like this and he puts an apple in it and he hits the button and it goes whoosh and the, half the apple goes into the little basket and uh, the other half is kind of sitting on the back and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at him and, and uh, I was really nervous being in front of all these people and then he says, all right, now we're going to put your hand in it. And I was like, what? And he takes my hand and he, and he puts it in there and he locks it down. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. Um, my voice couldn't crack because I was still young. Um, and he hits the button and it comes down and I was afraid to move my hand. And, and he lifts it up and he, and he actually had to lift my hand and he lifts my hand and he goes like this, and he says, wave to the audience, and I wave to the audience, and he's like, let's thank Jeff for coming up here and stuff, and as I'm walking off, he whispers in my ear, don't wash your hand. It'll fall off. (laughs) What look did I have on my face? (laughs) Scared me to death. I mean, I got to tell you, I did not wash it for over a week. I was so nervous. I was literally in the shower with my arm outside the shower curtain. I was in awe. I was amazed at this guy. I was left open mouth, and so were the Israelites. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because we have this amazing story about what God had done. But there's something that happened right before chapter 6. It's the very last part of chapter 5. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. So God's delivered Jericho to the Israelites. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Notice that he didn't say, shout, because I'm going to give you the city. He says, shout, because I already have given you the city. Why did they shout? They didn't shout to tear the walls down. They shouted because God had given them the city. Shout for the Lord has given you the city. We have this perception that it was the giant shout and maybe it was like the resonance of all their voices shouting and hitting the walls and it all fell down. At least that's what an engineer thinks about. What God was trying to say is, I've already done all of this. I've already given you this city. If you go back right before the battle, it says, and the captain of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua had his shoes off. What ground was that? Was it this, just the area around the captain of the hosts? See, I think God had already made Jericho holy ground. God had gone out before the Israelites ever went there and he's like, this is mine and this is mine 
and this is mine, and I'm giving it to you. You know the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God can take whatever he wants. And we get this mindset, oh, no, this is the devil's stronghold. The only reason why it's the devil's stronghold is because we allow it to be the devil's stronghold. He says, I have delivered, not I will deliver you. You know, it's like Christmas. God's already bought all the Christmas presents. We're just waiting to open them. So God, God decides what's holy. So in, in the Old Testament, like the Sabbath day was holy. Uh, the year of Jubilee was holy. The Levites were holy. What holy means is it's, it's God has taken certain things and he said, these are mine. He set them aside and he says, that's, that's literally what holy means. It means set apart. Another word that I would like to use is distinguished. They're distinguished from everything else. And so God goes through Jericho and he says, you know what? I don't need these walls. I don't need these people because they've hardened their hearts toward me. Ah, but you know what? I need Rahab. Because Rahab softened her heart toward me. And so Rahab was holy ground. She was holy. He took all the gold and utensils and stuff because he wanted to use those for his temple. He says, no, those are holy. So God goes around and he's marking off places. Let me ask you, what are the places in your life that God has already marked off as holy that we're just sitting back waiting, not doing anything with? What are the places in our new neighborhood What are the places in the future of our church that God has already marked off for him and all we have to do is move into that? There is a story in 2 Chronicles about Asa. And I want you to listen to this. It's like three verses. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Aram and, did, and have not relied on the Lord your God, for that reason the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Ethiopians in the Lubim and an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he handed them over to you. Key verse. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So I want to ask you, is your heart completely God's? Because if your heart is completely God's, you're going to be taking ground. You're going to be seeing miracles. You're going to be seeing enemies fall. But here's the thing. God doesn't do this our way. He fights the battles his way. He's going to do it his way. So let's see. If God doesn't ever change and we're going to like join ourselves with him, let's see. Who has to change? Yeah, we have to change. But you know what? Our flesh doesn't want to change. I didn't want to go out to the work day yesterday. Like. My flesh was like, no, you want to sleep in, you want to watch soccer, you want to kick back, eat like a nice breakfast burrito. Well, we ended up having breakfast burritos there, so that was a win. 
But like my flesh did not want to go out there. But there was something that God was saying, you know, this is the first step in taking some ground. And so I, I went out there. And you know what? I came away encouraged. I would have missed out on that. And, and this sounds like such a dumb thing. Oh, you, you went to a work day. Oh, you're such a holy man of God. Well, yeah, that's how it works. God's ways, like God doesn't like bring out the lights and the music and shine uh, t- television cameras on you and, you're, and you walk out and everybody's like, <sighs> like that's not the way God works. God's like, are you going to follow me or are you not going to follow me? Are you going to do my way in the way that I want to do it? Or are you going to do it your way? The world's way is, all right, let's make a big show. Let's use fireworks and let's make sure and have advertisements leading up to it and stuff. And God's like, no, I want you to show up to a work day. Oh, but God, that's not holy enough for you. Well, is walking around the city seven times holy? I mean, sometimes we over, like we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. God's just wanting us to do the simple things. You want to know a simple thing? If you're not serving in the church, are you following God? I'm sorry. I know that that was a little bit of a wound. I'm poking the bear a little bit. But if you're not worshiping when worship comes on, are you really serving God? Or is like, no, this is the piece of God, this is the piece of my life that I want to keep reserved. As Pastor Steve used to say, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) It's funny how you pick up those things. But like, what is it? What's the simplest thing that you can think of that God is calling you to take that step? Well, maybe you're not seeing the big miracles because you're not doing the little things that lead to the big miracles. Maybe you're not seeing the big victories because you're not doing the little stuff to lead you to those. You want to know what this is about? Jesus is going to, this is the most important verse this morning. Most important verse. This is one of my favorite parts of scripture. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. So he's constantly, God, where are you moving? Where are you active? Oh, you're active in this church? Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to move in and I'm going to do something in this church. Oh, you're active at the workday? Okay, I'm going to go do something at the workday. Oh, you're active during worship? God's active during worship. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. When people get together, God's active. Are we going to join him when he's active? Or are we going to hold our Saturday mornings back because that's our sleep-in morning? Are we going to hold our arms down because these are our arms, they're not God's? Are we going to hold our voice back? What are we holding back? What are we holding back? This, This is a hard word. Pastor Jeff, you're just too mean. No, I care about you guys. I care about me. I'm struggling with this too. Flat, like, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, like, Jeff. But you know what? You know what God told me was I was holding back? Is that I wasn't being honest when I preach sometimes. And so I'm having to take this step. God is calling you to take some more steps and quit holding stuff back. And it's not just with this church. Although that's a big part of it. At your work, what's the little step that you can take? I can do nothing. Uh, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. If God's fighting the battle in this way, I'm going to go fight the battle in this way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. You want to know a great prayer? God, what is it you're doing? God, where can I align myself to you? Who are you working in? You know what? If God puts something inside of you that says go share Christ with someone, that's not the devil. Isn't that funny how we get that in our head? Oh, no, that's just my flesh. What? It's your flesh to tell people about Christ? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. But, but we start believing stuff like that. So he does it in the same way that the Father does. And the Father will show him greater works than these. So you do the little stuff first, and then he's going to show you greater works so that you will be amazed. But you got to do the first ones first. God, where are you working? All right, I'm going to go there. And then when you do that a few times, then God's going to amaze you. And then you're going to see things you've never seen before. You know, I saw demons cast out of a woman before. Scared the bejesus out of me. (laughs) She was screaming and howling and like cussing worse than a sailor and stuff like that. I have never seen anything like it. And then watching the... (laughs) I mean, it was almost like right out of The Exorcist, except she didn't, her head didn't spin around and she didn't spit out pea soup. But it was like, and I was amazed. Like, uh, Pastor Steve, and there were a couple other uh, men that were in there praying for her, and she was going crazy. I had never, like you read about it in the Bible, I had never seen it. I haven't seen it since. And she was just screaming and yelling and stuff. I was amazed, and I came out of there thinking, boy, there is a heaven and a hell. And there's a spirit realm that I haven't even thought about. When you see someone get healed, you're like, wow, God's amazing. Can we have the worship team come up? And I started to poke a little bit. I'm going to poke a little more. You guys forgive me? I heard seven of you, so yeah. This is what Joshua says. And he ordered the army advance. And I thought about this word for a long time. He says, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark. But Joshua says, advance, go forward. If it was Captain Picard, he would have been like, engage. Like, just, just get moving. So I'm going to tell you guys, let's advance. Let's get moving. Now, here's the hard part. We talked about the flesh a little bit. In order to advance, you got to leave where you are. We don't bring it with us. They didn't bring Egypt with them. They didn't bring the Red Sea experience with them. They didn't bring the Uh, pigeons that God provided uh, in the wilderness for them. They didn't even bring the manna. As soon as they cross the river, the manna stops. Boom. That's the end. All those things that had happened, all those miracles of God, they they, they couldn't bring them with them. To get the new, you got to leave the old. And so there's this patch uh, patch of ground that you have to grieve over. 
And you have to say, you know, that was awesome and it's time, but I'm leaving it. And I'm just looking toward the future because God's having us advance. Sarah and I had a, a couple's Bible study and it was awesome. Like we were raising our kids together and stuff and there was like seven or eight couples with their kids. A lot of them are still in the church and, and leading things. Some have gone to other churches and stuff. But like we got together every Friday night and sometimes we'd go out for dinner afterward and it was so good for like four or five years. Like it was just the highlight of the week and we had fun and we were friends and went to movies and went to our kids' activities and stuff. And God started putting something in my heart that, Jeff, you're not supposed to do this forever. And I couldn't figure out why. Um, And talk with Sarah and we're like, well, we could give it up and stuff, but, but it's going so well. It's so fruitful. I mean, we had people showing up. We were thinking we're going to have to move into the church because we're starting to get so many kids. I mean, we had, it was something like 16 kids at one time for this couple's Bible study. And we were hiring the Newman girls to come over and babysit. And after a while, they're like, no, this is too much for us. But we, I mean, it was so fruitful. And God's saying, all right, I want you to give it up. And so we turned over to another couple. And I, that night that we announced it, I was just crying as we went home. I was just like, man, we lost, we lost it and stuff. That was on a Friday night. And we're driving home and I'm like, God, what are we going to do? We can still go to it, but we're not leading it. And what are we going to do? That Sunday, we have church. And after church, oh, one of the young ladies in the church was sitting there and she was crying. And went up to her. I said, are you okay? What's going on? And she says, I am so lonely. I just don't have any friends. I don't have a place to meet. I don't have anything going on. And God's like tickling my ear like, you here? Do you see me working? You see what's going on? Are you going to join me? I was like, God, I don't even know what you're doing. And I prayed for her. And I said, let me think about this. And I literally get up and I walk 10 rows behind and there's a guy in his 20s and he's crying. And I sit down next to him and I'm like, what's going on? It was actually Keith Ossenbaugh. The first person was Liz Williams. And the second one was Keith Ossenbaugh and he's sitting there and I sit down and I put my arm around him and he's like, I am so lonely. Okay, God, I, like I'm dense, but I, I'm starting to get the picture here. We didn't go two days and God had already opened another door for us. And so I grabbed Keith and I went up to Liz. I said, do you guys want to start a couple's bi- or a, a, a 20-something Bible study? I hadn't even talked to Sarah yet. <laughs> but it was obvious that what God was doing. And they're like, yeah. Our first night that following week, we had 12 20-somethings. We still have some of those people coming to our house. It's been like 15 years. If we had never left that other couple's Bible study and died to that, we would have never inherited something that was even better. And you know what? The time of our our group right now is probably going to end at some point because God has something else for us. And all of our 20-somethings are like, well, not yet, not right now. They've actually turned into like 40-something. Some of them have. 
what do you have to die to? We often think, oh, well, what's not fruitful? No, the Bible says that when, if, some, if a tree is bearing fruit, I prune it so that it'll bear more fruit. So what things in this church are we going to have to die to? Are there some small groups that we're going to have to kill so that we can open up other types of small groups that will support the vision of the church? We're having to leave this building. Is the way that we do worship, is the, the wall color, is the size of our classrooms, what are we going to have to die to to be able to move into what God is doing? I promise you, let's stand up. I promise you, this has gone a little long. As a leadership staff, we are saying, God, where are you working? And where can we join you? We're not trying to be like, name your hip, hipster church, whatever. I'm not going to show up like wearing skinny jeans. Those are probably out of style, but... Um, my voice would be a little higher and it would be very uncomfortable. I tried a pair on once at the store and it did not go well. I felt like they were fighting me the entire time. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be God's guy. I want to see God working and I, I want to align myself to that. And I hope you guys are looking, where is God working and how can I align myself to that? We showed a list of volunteers that we need. Maybe that's just the nudge that you need to die to the old ground, put the flesh to death, and help us out. Because we need those. I'll tell you one area with kids, with greeting, with tech, electric guitarists, whatever. I mean, we have so many needs. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers. So if you're not serving, this is the nudge. Let's pray. Father God, you are moving and you are active and you want us to advance. And God, I pray that we would see where you're working and we would join you there. God, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. In Jesus' name.